Well, hello, Earthlings, and welcome to My Haunted Life Podcast, the podcast all about the dark history behind your favorite paranormal stories. I got a little something different for you today. As always, I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn. Good evening, goblins and ghouls. How is everyone doing today? I hope you are wonderful and well. No real surprise here. I'm running around like a crazy person. I'm getting ready for Midsummer Scream coming up in Long Beach, California at the end of the month. I'm very excited, but... I'm also very, very terrified, and honestly, I haven't gotten past the terrified phase at the moment. I still feel very behind on getting products done and prepping. It's a lot, so keep your fingers crossed for me, please. Although, if you are in the area, stop by and say hi. I'm, I'm very excited. It's a Halloween convention, basically. Come on. It's going to be amazing. Remember, next week, we will have our fireside chat on Thursday over on the Patreon. And the week after that, I will be doing a little throwback episode. For those who have been listening for a while, you'll remember this one. The one with the amazing Fiona Horn. Because... I'm going to go to the Queen Mary while we're there. It's like, I guess it's like across the, I don't want to say parking lot, but it's like, it's like right there next to our hotel where the convention's going to be. So I will be going. I technically haven't gotten tickets to the ghost tour or reserved anything yet. I need to do that. Um... Like, really, really need to do that. But I'm going. If I have to, like, stow away, I will go. It, It's right there. I'm so excited. After that, we're going to be starting spooky season on the podcast. Well, I guess spookier season. Since we're always spooky around here. August, I will be doing a whole bunch of stories on haunted dolls. And for those that know me, know I'm hating every second of it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. But it's interesting. And it doesn't help we have a weird creepy doll at Kronk Art and Curiosities that stares at me every day I work there. Anyways... On this week's podcast, we are finishing up our tour of Texas with the one and only Rain with an out-of-the-world stop over. Out-of-this-world? That makes more sense. Out-of-this-world stop. We went to see Ned the Alien's grave and wandered around Aurora, Texas. For the UFO enthusiast out there, this is like Roswell before Roswell. It's a big deal in UFO communities. As the story goes, in 18, 
<laughs> I'm laughing because my notes are wrong. In 1897, a UFO crashed on Judge Proctor's land. Pretty straightforward. The most sensational part of the story is they recovered the pilot described as Martian looking and gave him a proper Christian burial in the local cemetery. But the mystery and controversy over Ned just keeps growing long after their death. Of course, the easiest thing to do is to dig them up and do some DNA testing. But the debate over ex exhumation continues. UFO researchers have even been met at the cemetery by locals with guns protecting their Ned. This story is awesome. This is one of those, again, like with like Screaming Bridge and everything, I didn't think I was going to have a lot. I ended up having a lot. That's why you guys are getting this a day late, because I had to finish. And it's me. I went down a rabbit hole. It was so much fun. Oh my god, this is such a fun one. I'm so excited. <laughs> so let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. So the date was April 17th, 1897, many years before my father's birthday. <laughs> a cigar-shaped airship was seen falling from the sky when it crashed through a windmill and exploded. It sounds amazing. And it sounds like local lore. But it's well documented. Here's a newspaper article written by S.E. Hayden, reporter for the Dallas Morning News, who went out and reported on it. About six o'clock this morning, the early risers of Aurora were astonished by the sudden appearance of the airship which has been sailing through the country. It was traveling due north and much nearer the earth than before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order, for it was making a speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour and gradually setting, settling towards, toward the earth. This is hard to read, y'all. It sailed directly over the public square, and when it reached... The north part of the town collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill and went to pieces with a terrific explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and the water tank, and destroying the judge's flower garden. The pilot of the ship is supposed to have been the only one on board, and while his remains are badly disfigured, enough of the original has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Mr. T.J. Weems, 
the United States Signal Service officer at this place and an authority on astronomy gives it as his opinion that he was a native of the planet Mars. Papers found on his person, evidently the record of his travels, are written in some unknown hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. The ship was too badly wrecked to form any conclusion as to its construction or motive power. It was built of an unknown metal resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver, and it must have weighed several tons. The town is full of people today who are viewing the wreck and gathering specimens of the strange metal from the debris. The pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. I absolutely love that this Wings Wems guy, who is definitely not a doctor. Again, it's a signal service officer and apparently knows a lot on astronomy. Based on the body, assumes that the body is one of a Martian. Quite literally. This is where the word Martian comes from. <clears throat> Remember, this is the time of like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. The public right now is fascinated with the possibility of life on other planets. From the Earth to the Moon came out only about 30 years before this. Now, World War of the Worlds didn't come out until a year after the incident. So I wonder if this helped to inspire Wells, maybe? I don't see why not. A big thing at this time was the belief that there were either people living on Mars at like the current moment or were once living there. Because people believed they had identified canals on the red planet. I love this so much. I found this description of the history of the canals on Mars on the NASA website. This was apparently like set up as like a teacher site. So to help teachers do lessons on it. As it states... Disclaimer, this material is being kept online for historical purposes. Though accurate at the time of publication, it is no longer being updated. This page may contain broken links or outdated information, and parts may not function in current web browsers. Visit nasa.gov for current information. Just, you know, keep that in mind. So, in the 1800s, observatories with larger and larger telescopes were built around the world. In 1877, Giovanni, oh, why did I do this? Virginio Schiaparelli, director of the, Bur why did I do this? A Bur Bura? Mm. 
Observatory in Milan began mapping and naming areas on Mars. He named the Martian seas and continents, with finger quotes, uh, dark and light areas with names from historic and mythological sources. He saw channels on Mars and called them canali. Canali means channels, but it was mistranslated into canals, implying intelligent life on Mars. Because of the then recent completion of the Suez Canal in 1896, the engineering wonder of the era, the misinterpretation was taken to mean that large-scale Artificial structures had been discovered on Mars. The importance of the canals for worldwide commerce at the time, without a doubt, influenced the popular interest in canals on Mars. In 1894, Percival Lowell, a wealthy astronomer from Boston, made his first observations of Mars from a private observatory he had built in Flagstaff, Arizona, Lowell Observatory. He decided that the canals were real and ultimately mapped hundreds of them. Lowell believed that the straight lines were artificial canals created by intelligent Martians and were built to carry water from the polar caps to the equatorial regions. In 1895, he published his first book on Mars with many illustrations and, over the next two decades, published two more books advancing his ideas. Basically, this helped explode what they called Mars Beaver. Everybody was so excited. And anything related to Mars or Martian or outer space excited and fascinated the public. So it makes sense that people descended onto the small town of Aurora, Texas, looking for keepsakes from the crash and trying to uncover what really happened. So it... And then it just kind of became local lore. Everybody always knew about Ned the alien. It's kind of cool. In the 1970s and 80s, nearly 100 years after the crash, UFO excitement was back and people turned their attention towards Ned once again. I feel like, to be fair, technically UFOs got really popular again in the, like, 50s, 60s, but it's okay. Anyways, and then it just never went away. Um, so because of this, everybody started paying attention to Ned again. Oh, I couldn't find when, when the name Ned was chosen, but apparently he is named after a past cemetery caretaker. So that's where Ned comes from. Anyway, an article that appeared in the New York Times in 
on February 26, 1979, discussed the history, but also talked about the the debate around exhuming the body. So I'm going to read this bit of the article directly from the article. I couldn't find like separate text, so forgive me. Except for an Oklahoma City researcher of unidentified flying objects who contended that he had proof the story was true, proponents of exhumation say they are not sure the man from outer space is buried in the cemetery here. And they say there was a nationwide UFO craze in April 1897, marked by dozens of obviously spiracious sightings. But this is the only place where a being is supposed to be buried. An effort should be made to find out if it's true, they say. We exhume bodies on much less cogent legal and scientific grounds than this said Ray Stanford, director of Project Starlight International in Austin. If it's not a human body, then we have the first remains of an extraterrestrial being. If it is, then we can once and for all Say it's a bunch of baloney. That's weird. The little man's grave marker was stolen several years ago. And there is now some dispute about exactly where the grave is and much doubt about what could remain in it. Of the two living residents who were children in 1897, one is all but deaf and the other is hospitalized with a heart condition. Neither has claimed to witness the crash. And as the years go by, the debate over the Aurora spaceman gets increasingly obscure. The facts all but unattainable, and the whole thing becomes an exercise in reading headstones that have long since been weathered smooth. The chances of a definite answer to the riddle of the Aurora Spaceman are about as likely as a suitable explanation to the question posed in the epitaph of Nellie Barris dead at 18 months and buried in the same cemetery. As I was so soon done, it reads, I don't know why I begun. Hell of a thing to put on a a child's grave there. So, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to look up what it takes to exhume a body in Texas. I went down this rabbit hole... And one of the big things that gets kind of confusing is the difference between uh, 
disinterring and exhuming. And that, that was a big thing when it comes to figuring out the paperwork. It's like different paper. It was, it was a lot. So in case you ever need to know, disinter is to take out of the grave or tomb and exhume is to dig out of the ground to take to a place of burial. I don't know why it's overly important, but you know. Anyway, basically, you cannot exhume a body in Texas without notifying next of kin. Pretty simple. Except for Ned didn't leave any emergency contact information or an ability to phone home. So we don't have a way to contact any family members. I can't believe I did the phone home line, but I'm not sorry about it. Oh, random sidebar. The hieroglyphics that were found at the crash, which I could not find what happened to them. Maybe those had contact information, a way to get a hold of his family to let them know what happened. But we couldn't read them and haven't been able to contact them. And now I'm kind of sad. I'm like, that's kind of depressing. I don't. Anyways, I couldn't find what happened to the hieroglyphics. And I was, you know, disappointed that I wanted to know what happened to that. Anyways, now that. I'm sad. Uh, the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON for short, was established in 1969. And they have conducted several investigations of the site. Numerous times. And here's a list from their website. One was broadcast by local television station KDFW Fox 4, and two were aired on cable te television. The KDFW report is stated, in 1998, Dallas-based TV station KDFW aired a lengthy report about the Aurora incident. Reporter Richard Ray interviewed a former Fort Worth Star-Telegram reporter, Jim Mars, and other locals who said something crashed in Aurora. However, Ray's report was unable to find conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial life or technology. Ray reported that the state of Texas erected a historical plaque in town that outlines the tale and labels it legend. UFO Files Investigation On December 2, 2005, UFO Files first aired an episode related to this incident titled Texas Roswell. The episode featured a 1973 investigation led by Bill Case, an aviation 
writer for the Dallas Times Herald and the Texas State Director of the Mutual UFO Network. MUFON uncovered two new witnesses to the crash. Mary Evans, who was 15 at the time, told of how her parents went to the crash site. They forbade her from going and the discovery of the alien body. Charlie Steffens, who was age 10, told how he saw the spaceship trailing smoke as it headed toward Aurora. He wanted to see what happened, but his father made him finish his chores. Later, he told how his father went to town the next day and saw the wreckage from the crash. MUFON then investigated the Aurora Cemetery and uncovered a grave marker that appeared to show a flying saucer of some sort, as well as readings from its metal detector. MUFON asked for permission to exhume the site, but the Cemetery Association declined permission. After the MUFON investigation, the marker mysteriously disappeared from the cemetery and a three-inch pipe was placed into the ground. MUFON's metal detector no longer picked up metal readings from the grave. Thus, it was presumed that the metal was removed from the grave. MUFON's report eventually stated that the evidence was inconclusive but did not rule out the possibility of a hoax. The episode featured an interview with Mayor Bramer, who discussed the town's tragic history. UFO Hunters Investigation On November 19, 2008, UFO Hunters first aired another television documentary regarding the Aurora incident, titled First Contact. The documentary featured one notable change from the UFO file's story. Tim Oates, nephew of Brawley Oates, and the now owner of the property with the sealed well where the UFO wreckage was purportedly buried allowed the investigators to unseal the well in order to examine it for possible debris. Water was taken from the well, which tested normal, except for large amounts of aluminum present. Interesting note. The well had no significant contents. It was stated in the episode that any large pieces of metal had been removed from the well by a past owner of the property. Further, the remains of the windmill base were found near the well site, which refuted Miss Pegasus's statements from the 1979 Time Magazine article that Judge Proctor never had a windmill on his property. In addition, 
the Aurora Cemetery was again examined. Although the cemetery association still did not permit exhumation, using ground penetrating radar and photos from prior visits, an unmarked grave was found in the area near other 1890s graves. However, the condition of the grade, grave was badly deteriorated and the radar could not conclusively prove what type of remains existed. Investigators have never been given permission to exhume the body that is supposed to be buried in the alien grave. Things got heated <laughs> pretty quickly around this. The Houston Chronicle interviewed resident Karen Tudrow about this crazy time in the small little Aurora town. In the 1970s, a group from the International UFO Bureau showed up to exhume the body, media in tow. They were turned away by angry residents, she states. There was quite a mess. The residents had guns and everything because they didn't want them to do it. And I understand because my parents are buried there. I don't want them digging around, earthly body or not. They ought to let it rest in peace. And that seems to be the, the, the feeling with a lot of people in town. And I'm sorry, I don't know what it is about the idea of a bunch of good old boys showing up to protect the grave of their little alien buddy is very endearing. To me, it just, it just seems really sweet. Of course, it was probably absolutely terrifying for the investigators, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm making it sweet in my head. Tony Wheeler, whose family has been in Aurora for decades and who is the longtime city administrator, said in another article, you cannot exhume a grave unless you notify the next of kin. And that's how the Cemetery Association got the court injunction in 1972 to keep them from exhuming the remains. So, we might not ever know the identity of Ned the alien. But that doesn't mean it's not a damn good story. And that conspiracy theories don't abound around this one. Remember the MUFON investigation I mentioned not too long ago? Where they had uh, gone out with their metal detectors and they were getting hits. And then the next day, the hits were gone. Some people point to that being proof of a government cover-up. That the government went out in the middle of the night and removed the metal so the investigators couldn't find it again. Like, they were on some big find, even though it's been there for like a hundred years. But whatever. To me, it's, it, that is more 
far-fetched than a UFO crash landing, but that's just my opinion. There are, however, other possibilities. So my new personal favorite theory behind Ned the alien is that it was a dirigible enthusiast that crashed and burned. Go with me on this one. According to many eyewitnesses at the time, there were actually a lot of what was identified as airships around the skies of Texas from April 13th through the 17th, 1897. Remember in Hayden's article, it says something about seeing these things. There were 38 reported sightings of airships in 23 counties in Texas. Nine counties reported multiple sightings with Hill County, a county for four, including two in Hillsborough and one each in Whitney and Osceola, mm-hmm. Turrent, Fannin, and Ellis counties had three each, and Grayson, Bowie, Collin, Hunt, and Jackson counties had a pair apiece. Single sightings were reported from Lamar, Wise, Aurora's and Wise County, Denton, Hunt, Parker, Dallas, Kaufman, Wood, Arith, Navarro, McLean, Friesen, Malam, Travis, and Jefferson counties. In other words, a pretty wide swath. Descriptions of the airships varied somewhat, but there was a general consensus that they had cigar-shaped bodies and cabins 50 to 60 feet long with propellers at each end, like large bat wings and huge floodlights fore and aft. I assume that means on parts of the boat, but I couldn't tell you which. Most witnesses saw neither pilot nor crew, but in some cases, not only did observers see people manning the ships, but talked to them. The Dallas Morning News correspondent at Waxahachie reported a long conversation between Judge Love of the community and an airship crew which claimed to be from the North Pole. At Greenville, correspondent C.G. Williams reported the leader of the ship's crew was from a little town in the interior of New York. The airship was being test-flown across the country. Its inventor implored Williams, don't give this thing away, We are experimenting with this vessel. So far, it is a success. Wow, that's really hard for me to read. A report 
from Waxahachie held that the machine was being operated by a woman and the observer thought his satanic majesty of Bezelbub had something to do with this traveler in the lower stratum of ether. I read this part to Rain coming up in a little bit. I'll have her reaction to everything and us talking about our adventure. Her reaction. You guys. It's hilarious. Uh, in Farmsville, an eyewitness saw three men in a cabin and heard them singing, Near my God to Thee. The trio reportedly also was passing through temperance tracks. I don't know if that's a religious thing, but that's awesome. Uh, This article came from Texas Almanac. And the fact that they had so many of these sightings is amazing. Like, I love this so much. My little Jules Verne loving heart is so happy about this. It just, it's amazing to think about. That, in my mind, there's this little dirigible club getting together and flying over Texas. So I wonder if somebody crashed, was severely burned by gas or something to the point where they didn't recognize him or he didn't have any human-like features anymore. So they went with Martian. That's... That's my new theory. I, I'm sticking with that. The original pilot crash landed. It's my new favorite. Or alien. I'm going to go with those. Now, another theory I found on the MUFON website suggests that the whole thing was a hoax. The hoax theory is primarily based on historical research performed by Barbara Brammer, a former mayor of Aurora. Her research, featured as part of the UFO Files episode on the incident that we talked about earlier, revealed that the months prior to the alleged crash, Aurora had been beset by a series of tragic incidences. First, the local cotton crop, the major source of town revenue, was destroyed by a boll weevil infestation. Second, a fire on the town's west side claimed several buildings and lives. Shortly after the fire, a spotted fever epidemic hit the town nearly wiping out the remaining citizens and placing the town under quarantine. Finally, a planned railroad got within 27 miles of Aurora, but never made it into town. Essentially, Aurora, which claimed nearly 3,000 residents at the time, was in serious danger of drying up. Brammer's research also showed that Hayden, the one that wrote the original article, was known in the town to be a bit of a jokester 
and her conclusion is that Hayden's article was a last last ditch effort to help keep Aurora alive. The theory was further supported by the fact that Hayden never performed any sort of follow-up on the story, not even to report on the alien's burial, which is highly unusual given the significance of the event. Further, in 1979, Time Magazine interviewed Etta Purgis, who claimed that Hayden had fabricated the entire story, stating that Hayden wrote it was a joke and to bring interest to Aurora. The railroad bypassed us and the town was dying. Purgis further claimed that Judge Proctor never operated a windmill on his property, a statement later refuted as part of the UFO Hunters episode. So, I'm not so sure on this one. Um, it seems a little far-fetched, but who knows? My thing is going out and visiting the town of Aurora. There's like, well, I'm going to talk about it with rain here coming up, but there's not much to the town and they don't make like a huge thing out of the UFO crash. Like you, you drive in and, um, Rain had friends that had taken pictures with this, like, UFO cutout and stuff. So, we had to go find that. But those are attached to uh, a Martian margarita. So, it's like, hell yeah, this is fun. Which has been closed for years. Like, they're not, they're not surviving on this, per se. They're just not. There's not a lot out there. It's just kind of a, I feel like it's more of a, like a, cute nod and a wink kind of situation. But I could be wrong. I would love to know. But, you know, that we don't know. And that's the thing. And I think that's the thing that's so endearing about this one. We, we might never know. We probably won't. Let's be honest. Uh, I'll be right back with my interview with my buddy Rain on visiting Ned's grave. Recording. I also real quick want to I lost all of my notes. Um do 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 as all this is recording. Um play like the X Files theme song as an introduction. That song used to scare me as a kid. Like I'd watch cartoons late at night and then X Files would come on and as soon as I heard that song and see the little UFO and thing, I'd jump up and turn off the television and go hide under my covers. Really? <laughs> that makes <laughs> me so happy. My childhood home. That's 
a little built up now because like across the street they sold off it to like a historical park but um it used to be just all cornfields like massive cornfields all around us okay and my dad used to tell stories about how he saw a ufo and he says he's also seen bigfoot and so we would always panic and think like the because we own cornfields we thought crop circles were gonna happen one day and aliens were gonna come to our house in the middle of nowhere oh because we did have locally legends called the yahoodies they were like a salina thing but they were like aliens called yahoodies what Mm-hmm. But whenever people describe them, they're like seven foot tall. They look like the generic alien, but seven feet tall. With black eyes and round heads and gray skin. Apparently a lot of people in Salina have seen them. Well, we have to go there next time. To my childhood home and go yeah. in the woods? Yeah, that sounds fun. All right, cool. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. Okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and start before we run out of time again. I wanted to find a quote. Technically, this is, you know, whatever. But here we go. All right. This week, we are finishing up the Texas Trilogy of Terror. Dun, 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 dun. Rain's laughing at me. She's shaking her head. So corny. I like it. I'm from Texas. I like alliteration. I'm sorry. Uh, This one is a story I've heard about a lot. And because growing up, my dad was really into, like, the UFO stuff. Like, we would watch all the mystery shows and everything. But the UFO ones were the ones, like, he was really interested in. I, I want cryptids and ghosties. And this was just always kind of a fun light-hearted one. So this is kind of a fun, light-hearted episode. But then I'm like, somebody dies, obviously, so it's not as light-hearted. <laughs> so today, we're not even talking about ghosts. We're going aliens today, and we are discussing the Aurora UFO crash of 1893 and Ned the Alien. So, my darling Rain, how did you first hear about this story? Ah, I think I first learned when I saw someone post on Facebook, like a picture at the UFO in Aurora. Really? Yeah. And then I saw someone post about that. And then um, one of my really good friends, Nikki, who works in the death industry, she loves to she does a lot of funeral crematorial things. And so she had actually posted a photo out at Aurora cemetery where she took a picture with the grave of a serial killer that's alleged is buried there. Mm-hmm. And then also Ned the alien's grave. And I was like, is this like a real thing? And so I started doing research and heard about Ned the alien and it's literally 45 minutes away from my house. That this occurred. So I was like, how have I never heard of this? And so I had actually never been out there. I kept hearing the oh. stories. I was always like interested, but no one, I've never had anyone want to go with me. That's so sad. So whenever I told you about Ned the Alien, you're like, yes, let's go. I was like, yes, I really get to go visit the grave. Yes. But in theory, if you pay a tribute to Ned the Alien, he's got a little stone and you give him little trinkets, you know. It's a blessing of good luck and good passage. Oh, that's so sad, considering... I know, considering <laughs> what happened. Yeah. 
So I he mostly paid for the energy for what he didn't have. Aww, that's even sweeter. So, um, again, I've heard this story a lot. I didn't think there would be as much documentation on this story and digitized. Thank you, UFO hunters who went insane trying to figure out this one. This is considered Texas Roswell. That's how big this is. So I'm like shocked. I, I mean, I understand that it's Texas and Texas is freaking huge, but it amuses me that you hadn't heard of it until more recently. Cause it's just, it's such a weird, kind of sad story. It's definitely within the last 10 years I learned about it and more prominently within the last five. And, and you go out there, it's just, it's your basic cemetery. It's very simple. It's very clean. Not a lot of trees. It had a really nice, like, viewing area amphitheater kind of thing, which I thought was cool. I, I, I'd never seen one like that. So that was cool. But yeah, we did Trees. go find, we found the serial killer as well. He's in the back. And I'll have more about him in the podcast, just because I can. But, um, yeah. I, I couldn't help but think when we got out there, we just looked like the two biggest tourists on the face of the planet. Like, I think it was pretty obvious we weren't there for anyone else. We had been hiking all day, so we were starting to look a little haggard. We had just gotten lost near Goatsman Bridge a couple times, and this was like the cherry on top of the whole adventure. We ended with Ned the Alien. And it's a cute little town. What It was like, there's like 400 people, 800 people that live in the it's town. not that many people. It's a very, very small town. I mean, to tell you guys how small a town, a lot of the roads are still gravel. Yeah. Only the main road is actually paved coming in and out of the city. That was a little strange because, like, the main road is up higher than the rest. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> we're going off-roading. Yes! It was so weird in, the, like, the little Mini Cooper. And all of a sudden it was like, take this turn. And we're like, this is someone's driveway. And we're like, no. And it kept yelling at us, and we did it. We missed our turn, and we had to go up to someone else's that we thought was a driveway. <laughs> I mean, it was... And it was strange. I think we were going to get shot a couple of times going down these roads to find the cemetery. I was like, this doesn't feel... I feel like I'm trespassing. It was very much that. It didn't help. Like, we were, again, very out of place. And people were, like, in their yards because it's a nice Texas evening. And they're like, what are these bitches doing? When we, there were a few people that just watched us drive by. Lots of trucks, and here comes a bright red Mini Cooper. Yes! Very slow. We were driving really slow, because we were really, really lost. So we probably looked like we were, uh... Tourist. Yeah! This... Everybody was very confused by us, and we were very confused by everything. So it worked out fairly well. Um... 
But no, we, we found the grave, and, like, the thing with the grave is the gravestone was actually stolen many decades ago. And there's a slab put on top of it, so you can't dig him up. And people have tried, but I, I went down this whole weird road of, what it takes to get a body excavated in Texas for a little bit. And it's pretty simple. It's you got to get permission from family or next of kin. Well, in Ned's case, he doesn't have a regular next of kin. So it kind of goes to this, the city and in particular, I guess the historical society, which I thought was interesting because I guess they're the ones that take care of the cemetery. And the cemetery basically told all the ufologists that descended on this little town in, like, the 60s and 70s to fuck off. Mm-hmm. And that even if he was an alien, he deserved a good Christian burial and deserved his peace. Which I love. Like, it makes my heart happy, but, like, the investigator side of me is like, it's so close! But the other side is, eh, yeah, okay. I don't know. I think that's really kind. I think he's actually listed as a historical marker, too. So, like, him being a historical marker, you can't, anything that's been listed as a historical area can't be touched in Texas. Yeah. So, like, even whenever you're driving, you'll see, like, historical marker signs one mile ahead, and it could be, like, something really random in the middle of someone's field. Because it's considered a historical marker, they can't touch it or remove it. Oh, see, that's um, brilliant. Yeah. So, Texas houses are kind of all over the place, and Ned, I think, is also characterized as one of those. And rumor, I think rumor had is, is they try to put, like, the cage over his grave to keep, you know what they do in, like, old England? Yeah. They try to keep people from grave robbing, and people were still trying to break through it, so they just put a giant stone on him. Yeah. And I'm surprised no one's tried to lift that big stone, because it is by a road, so in theory, someone could attach it to a truck. Right? Yeah. But no one, it seems like, well, not a lot of people know about him, so I think that's another reason why he's probably not been touched by a bunch of people that are not really in the know. I feel like that makes sense. I feel like if you're, other than stealing the gravestone, um, if you know what it is, you're going to go through official channels, even if they block you every time. And you always use a giant stone in a graveyard. Like, you don't necessarily know. It's not marked, Ned. No. But you can definitely tell because people have a trinket there and, like, UFO alien vodka. Yes. <laughs> They're all over the gravesides, coins, and little trinkets for him. So, for them. Because, you know, we don't really know what the sex was. It's was 1893. So. So. Oh, do you know? Did you find some research on this? I have found some research. This is the thing oh. I've been so excited to tell you. Oh, okay. Tell me. I don't know a lot of it. So. Ah. So. I mean, they don't know. They don't know anything about it, uh, about who he is, about what he is. And it it's so strange. Like, we were talking about, 
it is marked like at the beginning of the cemetery there's a lovely sign with all this information and then there's a little snippet about the alien like the town does not shy away from this like you drive into town you go further than the cemetery because we couldn't find this at first you just go a little bit further down the road and there is oh crap what was the name of that the barbecue joint Oh, uh, I had my the pictures. Smoking up. windmill. Yes, the smoking windmill. Which, according to the story, when he crashed, he fell into. I want to say ore, but I'm not sure if that's right. Uh, a judge's um, windmill took out the windmill. So you know, fun little nod there. But next to it, this is the part that made me the happiest. There was something called Martian Martini. No, Margaritas. Martian Margaritas? Yes. And apparently, um, Martian Margaritas, sadly, has been closed since the pandemic. I desperately hope they come back. It's freaking cute. And then they have, like, a place for a photo area where you can take pictures with a UFO and a little metal alien and... It was so cute. It was like bright green. It was like Area 51, Texas. Yes. They had like all these like hints and memorabilia to Ned and to aliens. So yeah. UFOs hanging from the ceilings everywhere. I think you got the pictures of us together there. Because I, I just I, I just have the pictures of um the building. I don't have us. <laughs> we took some really dumb pictures because it's freaking cute. It was precious. And, um, and, like, they didn't seem to shy, like I said, they didn't shy away from it. We didn't go far into town, but, you know, we didn't want to be disrespectful either. But, in my research, this was, I think, the part that I just totally geeked out about. So, many, 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 many years ago, I got really into Jules Verne. Before steampunk became a thing. I'm just going to throw that out there. I was that cool. And, you know, the big thing with Jules Verne is the story with the balloon and everything, which is fun because 80 Days Around the World has a mention of a balloon, but there is no balloon. That comes in later in the stage plays. True story. I was an obnoxious teenager, but, um, and rain's like nothing has changed, but, uh. Things make so much more sense now. I know, right? Totally makes sense. But there was, like, this show called The Secret Avengers of Jules Verne. I was, like, obsessed with it. Hence the old name Fog Couture because it's Phileas Fogg. Again, I was so popular in high school, you guys. It's not even funny. And we had this whole theory, me and my little brother growing up, that the alien was actually Pospatu, the one who was the valet, who ended up crashing and dying. It it was a brilliant idea, I promise. But I found in the research that in 
the couple days right before the crash and then a couple days after the crash. Ooh, you just got all creepy sounding. That was, I know, it kind of froze for a second. Yeah, that but I'm back weird. now. You, you, did, you didn't break it all up at oh, all. Oh, score. Um, but a couple days before and a couple days after the crash. Apparently, according to Texas Almanac, there were a rash of, like, dirigible and airship sightings. And people have stories of, like, talking to some of the crew members. And there's all these stories about how, uh, or I should say different descriptions. I think it was something insane, like, uh... 38 reported sightings of airships in 23 counties. Oh, Nine wow. of those counties reported multiple sightings. So, and they're all described very differently. Like, there's ones with, like, three guys, and there's one with one guy. And this is the part I was so excited when I found this. I need to, like, figure out how I can see you and read this to you at the same time because it's your face. Because one of these reported airships was actually flown by a woman. And uh, I had it pulled up and then I scrolled up to see... The number of um, uh, uh, counties. And there's like stories of them like singing and drinking and hanging out and talking to people. Like so many. And there was even one with a woman near Waxahachie. And the observer thought his satanic majesty or Beelzebub had something to do with this traveler in the lower strata of ether. What? <laughs> right? And then there's like all these theories that it was either hypnosis or bad whiskey. <laughs> That caused all these sightings. And people are very descript like this. So. Now. One of my favorite theories. Is that. It was one of these. Dirigible airship. Enthusiasts that. Crashed and died. By accident on this weird. Adventure. That he was out doing with his friends. Like, my mind goes to, like, a running club where you all get together, run, and go and do something, and then all go home. Yeah. But they did that in dirigibles at the turn of the century instead. <laughs> let's get, let's just drink some black market whiskey and get fucked up and see what happens. Basically! Like, so, like, essentially they assume, like, this guy is... Like, Ned's one of these airship people that had a little good time and lost from his running crew. Basically is my new theory. Or at the end of the running crew, just like, just go on without me. 
Well, and that, that's what's so funny, because, like, they would have absolutely no way of contacting to let them know, hey, by the way, I crashed, or nobody, I mean, his whole family could have been sending out a search party wherever he's from and never connected to the Aurora UFO crash. Because it made national headlines as the thing as well. It was yeah. a big deal at the time. Which theory, is, it could just be a guy that got lost. Right? So now I'm like... One of the biggest cold cases ever known. Yeah! And we'll never know because people keep being a pain in the ass about trying to dig him up. Because there's not much... There wasn't much left to him. Again, fiery crash. There's not a lot of remains left. Oh, and then there's stories after the crash. And this is really where the UFO alien part comes in. Was when they went, like, local townspeople went to the crash to figure out what the hell happened. They found him. And there's stories that he wasn't dead yet. Right? I had way too much fun researching this. It's not even funny. But there there was one story I found that Ned survived the crash. He was just a dude. Survived the crash and just went and lived among the people. Not a big deal. And then there was other ones where he was very much your classic gray alien type. And which is really interesting because that description did not really exist until much later. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it was like severe burn and disfigurement from the crash. Hmm. That a lot of these rural people might not have been familiar with. Aurora's kind of out there. Yeah, it's still out there. I... My mind just started exploding with all these possibilities. That's crazy. I wonder what... I guess airships were kind of new back then, too. They were in vogue, man, and people trying to, you know, make their own. It was a thing. Like, it was. It was a weird thing. Hmm. I don't know if you have it, and this would probably would have been... A more apt analogy. But, like, the, uh, we get a lot of hot air balloon kind of club kind of things. Oh, we have we have hot air balloon things here all the time. Yeah. Why did I, why I went with a running club and not a hot air balloon? <laughs> I don't know. This is why I write everything for the podcast. But. Just, like. It's kind of like a tragic tale, but it's, like, also kind of sweet in a way. Right? Because, you know, whatever he was, alien, human, Beelzebub, he, he... Beelzebub's cracking me up. I knew you would love that. As soon as I saw that, I knew, I knew you would love it. But, um... Like Texans in the Bible about and accuse anything odd is immediately demonic. Right, they have to. And I, just the fact that that sighting was also of a woman in her airship 
by herself doing her thing and some dude's like, well, if a woman's doing it, it must be the work of the devil. Witchcraft, you know, going back into the a crazy time frame, witches are flying. Right? I mean, ironically enough, they did not say anything about uh, witchcraft in this article. But yeah, it's just this really cool little article. I can send you the article if you want. It's, it's yeah, really that's sweet. I'm really curious. I'd love to read it. Uh, I've never heard about that, heard about all the sightings. It, it's My dad in, like, so in the 1960s swore that he saw alien, like a spaceship Ugh. where we lived. Ugh. But I think that was also like the big hype with Roswell about that time period as well. The big conspiracy theories. Right? I mean, I feel like growing up, I remember it was, I want to say like 4th of July or something. And we saw something weird as like a family. And like it was my immediate family, our neighbors, our other neighbors, because we were all out illegally shooting off fireworks. Rednecks. And there was something very strange high up. Because at first we thought it was a helicopter. But then it started dropping too quick. And then it would like pick up and go in a different direction. And, like, everybody is on, like, nobody's shooting off fireworks anymore. And we're all just sitting here watching it. And, again, I grew up with X-Files and all these different shows. I'm obsessed with X-Files. Mulder is my man. Scully is my girl. <laughs> you know, people talk about their sexual awakening. That's how I was with X-Files. And, um, oh, my God, I do have a thing for redheads. Sorry, that just clicked. Um, <laughs> but we're all out watching this. I'm not candy. <laughs> right? I, I can't talk to Candy now she has red hair. But um, I've told Candy this. She knows. But um, uh, so we're watching this, and I just remember being like, if this is a real UFO, we need to go the hell inside the house. And I remember grabbing my little brother, and I'm, like, in tears, freaking out, which is freaking him out, because I'm freaking out. And so it's just these two little kids crying. And my mom's like, you're the one that's, like, really into this. I expected you to be excited. And I'm like, do you not watch X-Files and see what the aliens do? You do not want to meet aliens. <laughs> and I just remember that so much. But I'm like... So we're gonna have to, yeah, we're gonna have to go check out your aliens now. I am very yeah. So we'll give you another text trip at home base. Yeah. I tell you, um, so like where I grew up and all the ghost stories in the area. Like take you to the Benji house where me and my sister saw our first ghost, an unexplainable situation. Oh, the um, Aubrey. Tell you about the Yehudis and where my dad allegedly saw Bigfoot and the UFO. And then tell you about. Um, the ghost story of, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting her name? Ella Hubbard. So there's like an old school bell at my old high school. And they built, there used to be a schoolhouse on the top of this hill. And then they tore it down and built our brand new high school up there. But they left the old bell. Oh. And there was a rumor that if you ring the bell um, six times, like, I don't know, it was like a, just a couple of times, you had like, 10 minutes to get to the graveyard to find Ella Hubbard's grave and ask her forgiveness if she'd haunt you the rest of your life. 
the graveyard's really old, and I have fallen in a grave gravesite in the back of the cemetery before. <laughs> it's caved in. Oh. It's also a cemetery where my mom was buried. Oh, um, So it's a really kind of creepy graveyard. I don't know why my mom chose that graveyard, but she liked it there. Oh. Um, but yeah, there's, like, all these little ghost stories out there, too. Some crazy, creepy stuff. Oh. Apparently we're gonna have a we'll 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 have a whole another Texas trilogy next year. Yeah, well, maybe we can even get access to where I used to work at the Magic Shop. It's now like a retail center, like a retail place in downtown McKinney, but it, I was haunted too. Uh, I'm just kidding. Most of Texas is haunted. Well, Collin County Courthouse, which is right down the road, like at the corner of where we worked at the Magic Shop. Mm-hmm was one of the last places to give up public hangings. There's like, they still have the tree out there. And um, if you go down in the courthouse, there's still segregated bathrooms. Like you see the old stickers. And oh, segregation bathrooms. shit. Mm-hmm. They historically preserved it. So you can kind of see the hall oh. be. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. It's not like that's how it still is down there, but you can still see like history well it's like i understand it well it's illegal to have it segregated now but if they just left it there and were like fuck it that that's scary but if it's a historical thing that's different yeah they have it blocked up where you can actually go in those bathrooms we can still see like the stick you look at the iron gates oh that's so weird yeah i'm from colorado we don't have a whole lot of that we have some of course everywhere does but, damn. Damn. So now there's plenty more for us to explore next time you come down here. We'll just do my childhood next time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Apparently I've had a lot more crazy experiences than I thought I had down here. Well, and that's what's so funny with a lot of these. People grew up with these stories and they don't even, like, click until someone asks specifically for them. I've had that happen a lot, and it's so funny because I'll ask people, oh, did you grow up with ghosts? Oh, God, no, that's whatever. And then suddenly, I've had this happen with my shopmates a couple times. They're like, oh, I remember this one story at this place. Or I'll see something from, because they're from the Chicago area. I'll ask them about this thing that happened near Chicago, and they're like, oh, yeah, that. Just because you're so used to it, it was like an everyday thing, really. It just, it never clicked, you know, or it clicked, yeah. but it, it just got buried back there. I mean, I always grew up knowing about Old Alton Bridge and then the orphanage in Sherman, Texas. Jesus. So, like, I mean, I've been, like I said, I went to the, that bridge one time, didn't get out of the car. I went to the orphanage and my brother came out of the car and left me at the gate. And I, like, screamed and it was just terrible. And nothing ever happened. I didn't hear anything. Or seeing the came back, luckily, like in 10 minutes. But in oh. that 10 minutes is the most nerve wracking experience. It's... The only place I actually had like ghostly like situations I never could explain, which was like the Benji house where me and my sister saw that full body apparition experience. And then just the doors and things getting knocked off shelves and in the magic shop all the time. Oh, oh and at Thompson's, I guess, when I bartended there. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I'm like. We, we did a whole thing on Thompson's last time. We did. Yeah, we're just going to do Texas Adventures every time we come out. Yeah. We'll do a bunch of hey, Texas come down here soon so we can have another one. Right? I don't know. Now it's hot down there. I don't know if I want to. Yeah, I gotta wait till 
Well, I would say September, October, but that's your busy season, so. Yeah. November's also really pretty. As I mean, you did notice with my wedding. Oh, yeah, totally. That was nice. Still too damn hot, but nice. I could say, at very worst, we'll be back out for March. And see, now we're going to have to go do all this in California, too. When we're oh, out gosh. there for Midsummer Scream. I guess we need to find things to go do. We need to find three things since we just do trifectas, apparently. So, um... Oh, yeah, you're making me stay on the Queen Mary, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I haven't booked it yet. I'm going to go do that right now. Because we have five <sighs> minutes left. <laughs> you're going to make me sleep somewhere. Yes, I am. It's a very nice place. And if it's already booked, we'll just do the ghost tour on it instead. It's I'm going to have to cuddle you. I'm going to sleep with the light on. Because uh, they have nighttime tours and then they have like day tours. And I totally want to do the nighttime one. I mean, I'm, we're doing, I'm going to San Francisco with Julian Candy and we're doing the nighttime tour at the Winchester. I'm so jealous. Or no, not the Winchester. Oh, Alcatraz. We're doing nighttime tour at Alcatraz. Uh, I'm so jealous of that too. Oh. I know. I love how I'm associated with like ghosts and spooky things, and, and Darcy does the same thing. She puts me on ghost stuff, and I'm like, I'm actually a big ghost guy when it comes to this type of stuff. I mean, it's worked I'm out intrigued. well for me. So. I like watching it on television, and I like watching my friends do it. I don't want to be touched. <laughs> I don't want to be messed with. I don't want to see things I can't explain. I'm like, that's why you're entertaining. It is kind of weird talking to you, and every time something like ghosts is mentioned, your camera refocuses. And it's very strange. It's actually when I move. This camera follows me. Oh, is that what it is? I'm like, this refocusing, as much as I love looking at your face, it's like, it's getting a little strange. Okay, if it's a, it's one of those. But yeah, as of now, it's you, me, and Kayla for Midsummer Scream. So that should be stupid awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we can find some more spooky stuff to do there, but not a lot of people there from there. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll make a lot more, uh, I'll bring sure to bring the actual tools this time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that would be nice. I wonder if I'm I was going to find this video that someone posted whenever they did the late night situation at Goatman's Bridge. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop you then for this one, because we only have like two minutes left. Gotcha. Okay, one second. Recording stopped. Okay, yeah. It was from a long time ago, I think. <laughs> so this time I won't touch any buttons whatsoever. I'll just let I'll just let its time go. Well, and it's gonna kick us out and say that the meeting ended. Then you just, re just get in the link again. That's what I mean. I won't touch nothing. Okay, stop. When you go into the tiny cemetery of Aurora, Texas, you are met with a historical marker sign that reads, The oldest known graves here, dating from as early as the 1860s, are those of the Randall and Rolot families. 
Phineas Dubly Bukop, a Confederate veteran from Mississippi, donated the three-acre site to the newly formed Aurora Lodge, number 479 AF and AM, in 1877. For many years, this community burial ground was known as Masonic Cemetery. Bocomp, his wife Carolyn, and others in their family. I missed a note. That's what it says. Okay. Um, are buried there. An epic an epidemic which struck the village in 1891 added hundreds of graves to the plot. Called spotted fever by the settlers, the disease is now thought to be a form of meningitis. Located in Aurora Cemetery is the gravestone of the infant Nellie Burgess, 1891 to 1893, with the often quoted epitaph, as I was so soon done, I don't know why I begun. Which we talked about a little bit earlier. This site is also well known because of the legend that a spaceship crashed nearly nearby in 1897 and the pilot killed in the crash was buried here. Struck by epidemic and crop failure and bypassed by the railroad, the original town of Aurora almost disappeared, but the cemetery remains in use with over 800 graves. Veterans of the Civil War, World War One and Two, and the Korean and Vietnam conflicts are interred here. Just like the marker, the UFO, the Aurora UFO crash is a small portion of the tiny Texas town's history. Although it might have colored it the most. The town's logo has a windmill and a UFO on it. If this, the uh, city's government page looks like a UFO page from the 1990s, if you were into UFO research, like I was in the 90s, like the beginning of the internet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The icon for the history section is a little alien head, but sadly the link doesn't seem to work. I promise I won't do a lot of UFO stories. It is a podcast about hauntings, after all, but... I just couldn't help myself. This story is just so endearing. It's the best word I got. It's one of those we could have been so close to knowing the truth, but now it's probably gone. Like, that the possibility is probably gone. So the mystery lives on. I personally don't know what I think about aliens. I do know that there has been centuries of people seeing things in the skies that cannot be explained and we shouldn't be discounting their experiences at a hand. The United States House of Representatives, specifically 
the House Intelligence, Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation Subcommittee, that is a lot to say, held a hearing on unidentified aerial phenomenon this year. UAP for short, which is apparently the new fancy term for UFOs. Probably because when you hear UFOs, you have a very specific image of a flying saucer and little gray men. They probably wanted to get away from that a little bit. The Pentagon has also released footage of some of the UAPs captured by the government in recent years. Footage captured, not footage of the things they captured. Really, that could have been confusing. Something is going on, and we should probably pay attention to the skies just a little bit more. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. I will get the website updated ASAP, I promise. And there will be pictures and info and my sources for this week's episode coming very soon. So check that out at myhauntedlifepodcast.com and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I do want to like throw a very big thank you out to you guys listening. I'm, as we all know, really bad with social media. Although you can find me on every social media. I'm really bad about posting. We all know this. So the fact that my numbers haven't dwindled too much with losing it, that makes my heart really happy. And I really appreciate you guys. Also, don't forget, next week, Fireside Chat, Thursday. I'll figure out time. So pay attention to social media. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that made me giggle. Uh, If you have a ghost story to share, email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. I posted last week the top 10 haunted bathrooms episode from the Patreon page. Y'all, some of you have been writing me with bathroom stories. Shout out Kayla and Bella. Like, seriously. I, I, I think I've gotten more feedback about bathrooms than anything else right now. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this week. I'll see you, well, at the Fireside Chat. Or two weeks from now on the podcast. And until then, stay spooky.